And we just praise you for the fact that we can come here and we can learn from your words, that um, we can learn more about you and more about your plan for our lives uh, through it. So we just pray that you'll be at work in our hearts and minds, that you'll, uh, you'll encourage us where we need to be encouraged and that you'll challenge us where we need to be challenged this morning. Amen. Psalm 30 is another one of these great psalms of David in which we see the writer, the heart of the writer completely laid bare for us. And it seems that David wrote this psalm after undergoing some serious illness. We're not told any of the details about this illness, but it's clear that David really thought that he would die as a result of it. We read in the first few verses, You lifted me out of the depths. I called to you for help and you healed me, and you brought me up from the grave. Clearly, whatever this illness was, David had not expected to make a recovery from it. But then God stepped in and healed him. David wrote that God literally saved him from the grave. And so it's for this reason, in verse 4, he tells the people of God to sing to the Lord, to praise his holy name. You might remember back in August when I preached on Psalm 29 that David did the exact same thing. He commanded that God be praised throughout the earth for the reason that God created and is in control of our world. And that the same God who created all that we see around us from the tallest mountains to the deepest seas and the stars in the sky, the same God who causes thunder and lightning who makes deserts shake, who causes mountains to leap. That same God, in all of his might and power, can be known by us, can be approached by us, can be in relationship with us. That God is not distant from us. He is a loving God who wants to know us. That's the thrust of Psalm 29. And as we read Psalm 30, we see that David put that relationship with the Creator God into action as he prayed for healing from this illness. And clearly, God heard David's prayer. He brought him back from the edge of death. Every time I think to myself about this relationship that we can have with the Creator God, it slightly blows my mind a little bit to think that the God who created everything that we see around us hears me when I pray to him It's staggering to think that he cares about me enough and cares about us enough to have a plan for our lives, that he's keen to be involved in my life and in my life choices and in my day-to-day life. It's just astounding. It's worth taking a moment just to reflect on how blessed we are to know a personal God who is mighty and powerful And all of those things that we read in Psalm 29. That same God cares about each one of us like his own children. And I'm sure that for David, this understanding of the blessing of knowing his God, who hears his prayers, who is active in his life, is what causes him to sing praise and encourage God's people to sing praise as well. For David, the Psalms were often a place of personal praise, time alone with his God. But this Psalm, as we have read at the start, is for a public event, for the dedication of the temple. 
He doesn't want to keep his God to himself. He doesn't want to keep what God has done to himself. He wants all of God's people, the entire nation of Israel, to know what God is like and what God has done. And what an inspiration David is to us. He uses his pain and his suffering to make God known. And when he goes through those difficult times in his life, which he does, he uses them to glorify God. His mentor Saul tried to kill him. He was betrayed by his allies as king. He lost a child. His son revolted against him. And as we read here, he developed an illness which brought him to the edge of death. Just consider for a moment if just one of those things happened to you, how would you respond? Would you look to God for comfort? Or would you turn and run from him? David used those times to get closer to God, to learn more about God's character, to discover God's direction and plan for his life. He takes situations and he seeks the good going forward. It doesn't mean that we see apathy in any way from David. He doesn't shrug his shoulders and say, oh well, another thing has gone wrong. Actually, in verse 9, we can see that there is a little bit of a retort from David, a little bit of feedback to God in the midst of the situation that he found himself in. He says, What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Sometimes I think that we can find it hard to engage with characters in the Bible because they're such strong, godly characters. And often we feel that we, by comparison, are weak in our faith, unlikely to match the desire that they show to live for and serve God. And so that's why it's great that we have the ability to read passages like this, because we can relate to this when things are not going well, when David is facing the prospect of losing his life. He presents an argument to God as to why he should live. It's almost childish. He says, if I die, how can I praise you? Who will praise you in my place? The dust that I will become when I die? He presents the argument to God. What good will it do for you for me to die? It's ludicrous, and yet it's real, and it's human. It's what we do when things aren't going well. We argue, we reason. Do you see any of your own character in David when he appeals to God with this reasoning? Because I certainly do. We may almost see it as being irreverent, but God allows us to have this to and fro with him. The nature of our relationship with God as Christians means that God is approachable. He allows us to bargain, to state our case. When things go wrong in our lives, we have scope to approach God and tell him how it makes us feel. Psalm 30 is such a helpful psalm to know as people of God, as it gives us a framework, a model for how we are to respond when things are not going as well as we may have expected. For David, it was an illness that brought him to that place, an illness which was so severe that he may have died from it. Of course, for each of us, it may be something different, but we will face trials and troubles. It's the nature of the world that we live in. We live in a sinful and broken world. 
And with that comes pain and suffering. And perhaps the trials that you face will be illness like David. There may be a sickness that yourself or a loved one, a loved one will face and it will bring sadness and pain. Or it may be issues with family or children, issues at home or in wider family which are causing hurt. Relationships that may never be restored or saved. You may have concerns about the future, finding God's plan for your life. You might struggle with identity or knowing your place in life. Or you might have financial issues or employment worries. It could be any one of a number of issues in your life that causes heartache or suffering or worry or stress or pain. Whatever it might be, just look at David for the example of how to respond to that situation. To turn to God and pray. Pray knowing that he hears. Pray knowing that he is good. Pray knowing that he is in control. Our world and our sinful nature encourages us to turn elsewhere during these times. Alcohol, drugs, sex, therapy, eating, spiritualism, shopping, holidays, whatever it might be, our impulse is to turn away from God and turn to earthly things for comfort. But that's not David's reaction. His reaction is to turn and pray to the God who he knows hears his prayers, to the God that he knows is in control and has a plan. And that involves real and honest prayer. He tells God that he doesn't like it, that it hurts and it's painful. And yet, and this is the important bit, through it all, he continues to give God the glory. Not only is God able to heal and comfort, but God is entirely deserving of our praise and service and adoration, even when things don't go the way that we hoped they would. And having read some of what David's written, I have no doubt at all that even if God hadn't healed David from this sickness, David would have claimed on his deathbed that God is good. I've got no question that even if Saul had caught up with him, if Absalom had overthrown him, if David had lost everything, he would still have said, God is good. Because David knew who God is the creator of heaven and earth, the maker of the stars and galaxies and sunsets, the one who makes the mountains leap, the one who shakes the deserts, the one who sits enthroned over all the earth, the one who in all things is good and righteous and mighty and holy and completely deserving of our praise. That's who God is and that's what he deserves from us as his people. He is deserving of our praise in the good times and in the bad times. And David understood this to be true. However, at times, as we read in verses 6 and 7, it doesn't seem to be at the forefront of his mind. This is what it says. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. It appears from these verses that David slipped into the kind of self-assurance that we all slip into at times. 
most notably when things are relatively plain sailing. When I felt secure, I said I will never be shaken. As the king of one of the most powerful nations in the ancient world, David must have felt untouchable at times. He had an abundance of power and wealth and celebrity. Things that we might strive for, he had them. And it appears it went to his head for a time. Those things gave him a confidence, a confidence in himself, a self-assurance. And often we can be the same way. It might be a good job or a big pension or a new car, lots of friends, holidays, a home. Whatever it is, these things can make us feel comfortable, assured in ourselves and what we have. In fact, we don't even have to have the very best car or the biggest house or a top-level job. If we have any of those things, if we have a roof over our heads and food on the table, we are extremely, extremely rich and comfortable. And that's why it's so easy to fall into the exact same trap that David fell into, feeling untouchable, feeling comfortable, feeling like we don't need God, because life is plain sailing. Until something comes along and knocks us off our perch. Until a crisis happens which renders those things worthless. Until we find ourselves in a place where they can't help us. When only God can help. It's easy when things are going well for us to get comfortable, to be self-assured and to rest on our laurels. But that self-assurance is often built on shakeable earthly things and not on God. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. David encourages us to build our confidence and assurance on God, not on ourselves or the things that we have. To be in constant communication with God, to live for him, to serve him, to rely on him for all of our needs, to be confident that he will provide David's experience is encouraging us to stop calling on God only when we need him to, to, to step in in our lives. We, gonna, we need to avoid seeing God as an on-call doctor or one who we can present a wish list to when things aren't going the way that we want them to. Or bargaining with God, saying, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And so often I find myself in the very same situation that David is describing here, being assured, self-confident, life going smoothly and being relatively comfortable. Those are the moments when we begin to forget God. And I will admit that my prayer life looks radically different when things are easy compared to when things are difficult. And I'm sure you can relate. Do you notice that you start praying after a couple of weeks because you've got an interview coming up or a big exam? Or do you pray when you're on the way to the hospital, to the doctors? I want, and we should all want, to develop a prayer life like David describes. Not coming before God just when we need help. Not only, asking, not, not only praying to ask him to step in and fix a difficult or painful situation, but coming before him all of the time. <clears throat> when things are going well, just as when things are not going well. A real theme of David's entire life is God is good all of the time. And it's vital for us to get that same understanding of God 
for us to have a genuine relationship with him. For us to get away from God is good when things are going well for us. Because from time to time, our prayers won't be answered in the way that we want them to be. From time to time, God won't respond in the way that we hope. As I said before, I'm certain that even if God hadn't healed him, David would still have said, God is good. And even when we don't get our own way, God is good. Even when the outcome isn't what we hope for, God is worthy of our praise. Do we have a strong enough relationship with God to say that this is true? If we see God as an on-call doctor or someone to present a wish list to, then when we don't get the things that we've asked for, when we don't get the outcome that we're looking for in a situation, our faith will be shaken. We need to know it to be true that God is always good and that God is always worthy of our praise in every situation. A good example of this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were followers of God who were commanded to bow before and worship the image of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And whilst every single person around them bowed, they refused. With the threat of being tossed into the flames of a furnace leveled at anyone who refused to bow down and worship anyone but the sorry. With the threat of being tossed into the flames of a furnace leveled at anyone who refused to bow down, they refused to bow. They refused to bow and worship anyone or any image, any idol, but the God that they followed. And upon hearing this, King Nebuchadnezzar tells them if they do not worship the image, they will be bound and thrown into a furnace. And this is how they respond. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego demonstrate the kind of relationship with God that we should be looking to develop. The kind of relationship that says, God will save us from this furnace, but even if he doesn't, we will not worship anyone other than him. The kind of relationship that says, God will save me from this illness, or job loss, or financial struggle, or family crisis, but even if he doesn't, he is my God, and he is good. And is that where your relationship with God is? Is he just a crutch or an on-call doctor or a person that you present a wish list to? Or is he your God in the good times and in the bad? Does he receive your praise and adoration and devotion at all times? Job, in the midst of living all that he had, his family, his wealth, his land, his power, everything he had still found it right to say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the way that I want to respond to all situations that I face. That's the way that I want to live my life. 
May the name of the Lord be praised, for he deserves nothing less than all of our praise, all of our devotion, and all of our lives. If we turn again to verses 4 and 5, David gives reason to praise even more. He says, Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his, li- for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. David's poetic words here speak of a greater meaning. Weeping may remain for the night. We do live in a sinful and broken world. We will suffer in many ways because of the impact of sin. All of the ways in which we hurt can be traced back to the existence of sin in our world. It separated us from God, mankind from their creator. David describes it as night because the darkness consumes. Sin is the darkness which, we, which is all around us today, causing the pain and suffering and separation that we experience. It's our reasons for weeping, for tears, for hurt. But David tells us that This won't last because the morning is coming and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will be the one that brings that rejoicing. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking the punishment for the sins of this world, and when he rose again, he defeated the power of that darkness, of that nighttime. Through Christ, we can know a morning without suffering or pain or any of the effects of sin. Through the wonderful news of the gospel, we can know God the way we were first created to. God can lift us out of the depths in the short term, like he did for David. But the the truly amazing news of the gospel is that God can save us eternally from sin and death through trusting in his Son. And if we go back and read this psalm, not with the point of view of David, and his illness, but the point of view of ourselves as sinners, it applies just as well. As sinful humans, we are at the edge of death, destined for the depths of hell. But through believing in Jesus, we can be healed, we can be brought up from the grave. We can know a future with God in an everlasting morning filled with joy. We can know a future where the effects of sin and death have no power where pain and suffering and struggles no longer exist. What an amazing truth. What more reason do we have to say, in all things, God is good? And if you haven't come to the point where you've believed Jesus Christ is your Saviour, then don't leave here today without coming to know him. And if you've wandered away from him, don't leave without reconnecting and reigniting your relationship with God. As we reread the last two verses of this psalm, we read them as people who can know and love and be loved by God. From verse 11 it says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you for this psalm. We praise you for the words of David 
that tell us of his life, his relationship with you, and his desire to proclaim your goodness in all situations, through the good and through the bad. We just pray that as we go into this week, that you'll help us to live with the same attitude that he had, that whenever we face tough situations, we still proclaim you to be good, that we turn to you for comfort and help. Father, we just pray, we praise you for the fantastic, amazing news of the gospel, that one day the darkness, the nighttime, will be gone forever, that through Jesus Christ we can know you, have a relationship with you, and that we can know a morning without any suffering or sadness.